Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm positively sure we'll both feel better having talked about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. Today's issue is bipolar disorder. It's one of my biggest personal struggles, and I'm hoping that my guest and I can give you a little insight into what it's like. I'm talking to my friend, Mary Catherine Backstrom, who is an influencer and the best-selling author of Mom Babble, Holy Hot Mess, and Crazy Joy. She's been featured on The Today Show, CNN, and The New York Times, but her friends and family are most impressed with her one-time appearance on Ellen. MK lives in Alabama with her husband, children, two dogs, and one cat. So let's talk about bipolar disorder. But before we get started, I want to just read a little bit, um, just a bit of a definition. um, Okay. Because obviously we are not doctors. We just are speaking from our own experience, of course. Um, The official definition for bipolar disorder is that it's a mental illness that causes unusual shifts in mood, energy, activity levels, concentration, and the ability to carry out day-to-day tasks. Yes. yes, all of the things. <laughs> Confirm. I <feel> there are <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there are two main types. There are actually, I guess, like five types, but there are really like two main types, which is yep. one, which is mm-hmm. characterized by manic episodes that last at least seven days, most of the day, nearly every day, or by manic symptoms that are so severe that the person needs immediate hospital care. Bipolar Hmm. 2 disorder is defined by a pattern of depressive episodes and hypomanic episodes, but the episodes are less severe than the the manic episodes in bipolar 1 disorder. So basically, bipolar 2 disorder is the shitty one of the two. Yeah. I mean, I'm really glad you went ahead and said that because my very first thought was like, wow, I feel cheated because like more mania always sounds like fun. (laughs) Oh my God. Like... It at least should be even. We should at least just, get the same amount of depressing. My, yeah. My biggest thing is like, and I say this, I tell this to my audience all the time, and I know it's not healthy, but this is what it is. Like, I love mania. Mania is the greatest. And if I could live and exist in that state, I mean, I would be happy. My friends and family probably would not be so happy, but I'd love it. It's oh, the energy 100%. for me. 100%. It's the best. If you could yeah. bottle... I I have very little experience with drugs aside from weed, (laughs) but but if I I can't imagine there is anything that is a better high than what mania. I'm thinking that mania would be like the confidence. I don't know what drug gives you confidence, but it's that plus speed. It has to be yes, yes. So tell like before. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. Let's back up a little. That's what let's, I do. Let's back I, I up like a to lot. jump straight in, and then we got to swim back to the top. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, that was me. I totally did that. So when, first of all, how are you today, really? Um, today is a good day. I feel actually kind of balanced. You know, I would really prefer to be manic, which is my jam. Um, yep. But right now, what I'm focusing on is um, we're trying to really fix my depressive episodes, which are just mostly I want to stay in bed and like live there forever because bed is a happy place. Um, and so right now, the fact that I have enough energy to show up to things, albeit late or um, as a mess, 
I'm here. And so being here is a good sign. And when I'm able to show up for my life, I'm doing well. Yeah. Thanks for asking, Jill. No, of course, because I, my whole life, I've been someone who struggled with how are you because I mm-hmm. feel like the answer is never a simple fine right. or good, even right. though that's sort of what's expected. So, um, thank you. I for have the a tendency answer. of unloading the truth to the wrong person. Like my therapist will ask how I am, and I want to tell him how great I am because I want him to be proud of me, which is great. <laughs> but then if a barista is like, "How are you?" I'm like, "Well, my life's kind of falling apart, and I'm feeling a little hypomanic today." <laughs> I do the same thing. I'm such an oversharer with strangers. And then I, yeah, it's, it's I think the Venn diagram for people who start off as bloggers and also happen to be oversharers is a complete circle. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. So when, when did your struggle with mental health and bipolar begin? I don't know. You know, here's the wild thing is um, I'm starting to understand that some of my symptoms of other um, diagnoses overlap with bipolar. And so I don't know if it's when the bipolar started or maybe when I probably started exhibiting some ADHD symptoms because there's some overlap there as well. But I remember my first panic attack and I was a child. So Mm. I was probably in second grade. Um, I was doing this weird thing that occasionally I still do where I was hyper fixated on being able to swallow. And I was trying to go to sleep, but I was Mm -hmm. like, I need to swallow again. And then I need to swallow again. And here's the funny thing about swallowing. If you continue to do it and your body doesn't really need you to do it, you get to a point where it's like, you can't. And then I was like, oh my God, I'm dying. I can't swallow. So then I really needed to swallow. And it became this like unhinged, weird thing where I ended up jumping up and running to the bathroom and like putting my head under the sink to drink water because I thought I was dying. And you know, a trigger that small um, and a second grader, I think second or third grade probably is when I know for a fact I started having anxiety attacks. Um, the mania is hard to distinguish from the energy that came with ADHD because I'm also a kid with ADHD growing up. Um, but I think that the anxiety part and the the mental illness part started in childhood. And I would guess that I became a little bit more bipolar. I don't know how that initiates. Is that a thing that you just grow into or does it just show up one day? But probably college. (laughs) It's funny because for me, I would have, five years ago, if you asked me about bipolar disorder, I would have said, you know, I guess it's a mood disorder where there, you know, you have mood swings and sometimes you're happy and sometimes you're sad. And I would have probably thought that it was maybe (laughs) over-dramatized. Like I just didn't... I didn't, yeah, I don't even, why Why I said maybe, like, it's a secret, this is my right. show, I can admit that. Um, I, I didn't really, like, the way people say, you know, I'm OCD, I'm, you know, I'm, right. whatever, you just sort of throw it around, like, it's just a No, I feel so annoyed term. at myself for saying I'm ADHD still, because I think there's such a stigma around people now are starting to own their diagnoses. Um, yep. And so what we're thinking is like, oh, this is trendy. No, I think it's just losing stigma. And so we're starting to see how prominent a spectrum of disorders are. And the reality is when we when we claim and own our disorders, I mean, we have to remember the word spectrum. Like I can be ADHD, but it might, uh, my version of it might look very different from somebody else's. And so we're not claiming the same experience. I think that's a little bit, that's kind of funny is people get very territorial about their mental illness too. They're like, are you ADHD? Are you really? Really? Yeah. You know, yeah. are you OCD? Or Really? <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's like, this is my space. 
But I don't, I'm with you. I, I used to not like acknowledge that I was, or I would have not wanted to own bipolar. Bipolar is a very stigmatizing diagnosis. I like to tease about my bipolar diagnosis because I'm really trying to like get people to talk about it more. And so I really ham up the mania. Mania is fun. Mania is this. Mania is that. But like, it's not fun to like be in bed and unshowered and like unable to function and feeling like your children would be better off without you. Right. And that is the, that's the lower side of the roller coaster. And that's the problem with bipolar is it is, it functions like a roller coaster. You know, when you hit that high point, that there is a bottom coming very quickly and you get there. It's like overnight. I mean, I don't know about you, but it doesn't switch during the day for me. I wake up and know how the day is going to be. And I wake up like at a zero out of 10 or a 10 out of 10. Mm. There is no warming up to it. It's like, I am here and I'm going to go announce (laughs) that I'm running for office because I'm hypomanic or I am at the bottom of the barrel and I might need a crisis call with my therapist. And so the bottoms are hard. Um, For me, what that looks like is exact, like literally no executive function, um, and then um, I sh- and then it becomes a shame spiral of I'm a useless human being. I can't even make breakfast for the kids. Um, you know, and when the hard thing is is like if you're interacting with people that you love is when you're already at zero spoons and you're waking up in that place, um, what you have to give others is so minimal that you run out almost immediately. And so my children have a different mom based on whether I'm hypomanic or depressed. And I'm either the most fun, exciting mom in the world. Or I go from like zero to a hundred yelling voice over a bowl of cereal. And I hate that about myself. And I'm working so hard to like fix all of those things. But it's that waking up with zero spoons and it's, and it's a spiral because you start in a bad place and then you hate yourself for being there. And once you're there, it is so hard to get out of it. I remember sitting in my therapist's office with a list of such basic tasks and having her coach me through responding to emails that were like a three word response calling the dentist calling the you know gas yeah. company like whatever just i right. could not rally any like the self confidence to talk to somebody on the other line it was it was crazy and then as far as the kids I mean, that, that's the part that kills me as I look back at the chunks of time yes. because it's not, I don't feel the same way as you necessarily waking up every day on a spectrum of like mm-hmm. one to 10. I'm kind of like always like a yeah. six with like maybe an eight, most likely a two, four. Oh, <laughs> like, you might be better managed than me right but now. But <laughs> I'm so low. Like it may be better managed, but like, can I get I know. This is my complaint to my psychiatrist every time I talk to her. Um, but the kids have had stretches that have been six months, nine months of me just being so depressed and also sick and dealing with physical stuff. Um, but sure. And those two things kind of all, they seem to fall at the same time. I'm not, when my mind starts falling apart very quickly, my body starts falling apart. I don't know what the thread through is there, but they're all connected in some way because I can't just feel terrible in yep. one way. I got to have them all. It's It's got to be a D all of the above scenario where I am depressed and sick and 
Um, Jill, you know, I just want to also like go back to the thing where you said like, you know, you feel like you, your kids have had six months stretches of just like this person that you, yeah. you wish wasn't the one they had. For me, um, what's really hard is like I'm trying so hard to be a cycle breaker of so much trauma and I'm doing the work. Like I'm going to therapy and I'm, a, I'm doing the gentle parenting thing and I love my babies more than anything in the world. What hurts me the most is that there are times where my mental illness has trumped every desire I have to break cycles of trauma. And my kids are going to have to work through at some point the fact that, for instance, when I got diagnosed with cancer, it created a major spiral for me. Um, and my son has attachment issues because during that time, I woke up every day with no spoons. And, you know, we can talk about spoon theory later. Yeah, you got to explain that, that out before there, we but, get too deep. I do have to explain the spoons thing. Um, yeah. Let me do this and then I'll do that because I'm super ADHD and I'll definitely lose my train of thought. But th- I, I, lo- I lost my ability to connect with my children for almost a year. And I hired nannies and I stayed upstairs in the shower, like just feeling not even alive, like a, like a soulless blob, you know? And I couldn't dig myself out of that. It wasn't like I, I didn't even have the tools to dig myself out. But I have to reconcile now that I've got to go back and deal with these issues that my, my son has because I checked out due to mental illness. And it's so easy to go into shame spirals like because of those perceived failures, which, you know, yes, like my, my mental illness affects other people. That's the hardest part for me is, is I don't, it's like I'm okay with the fact that it affects me. Like yeah. I mean, you know, whatever, I, I don't mind hurting. I'll limp along and keep doing the thing. But the second it affects my marriage or hurts my babies, it feels so... That's the hardest part, I think. Um, Spoon theory. Uh, I don't remember where I read this, and I could probably look it up in a a quick second. But um, the idea of spoon theory is that you wake up with a certain amount of something, and this lady chose spoons. Um, And this works for invisible illness. It works for mental illness. Um... But what it means is like it's fuel. It's it's the things that you can spend. It's the currency of your energy that you have. And I wake up in the morning and sometimes my currency is I got a I got a pocket full of spoons. I can do all the things. So I wake up and I take a shower that took a spoon. I take my kids to school, but I'm like Mary Poppins while I do it. That took a spoon. And by the time you get to the end of your day, you have less to give. But some people start the day with less. And that's the big thing when it comes to like mental illness and how maladaptive it is, is you're not Mm. even starting your day with what everybody else has. And so, and you're so much harder on yourself because you start, you feel like hitting that threshold at nine in the morning. Like, how can I already be this dysfunctional at nine in the morning? Well, the difference is whether or not you woke up with 10 or two Mm. spoons to spend, right? And so I think a part of like you talked about like, the little things that are so hard to do at brushing your teeth, getting in the shower, showing up for the coffee date with a friend. The thing is, a healthy person has the spoons to spend. When you're in that low, low spot, you might have two spoons. And that spoon might be, I'm going to feed my kids and I'm going to stay alive today. That's it. Don't I can't spend energy on anything else because I don't have it. You know that feeling of like going on a long family vacation with kids and then you get back and you're like, I need a vacation Uh from vacation. That's like, I think, a very 
similar feeling to waking up with very few spoons. Yeah. You know, like I need a vacation yeah. for life. And I don't even know what that looks like, but that's how I feel. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. The, the lows are the worst. Lord of mercy. Are they like that for you, Jill? Yeah. The lows are awful. Um, I just want to sleep all day. And it's not like I want to be in my mm. bed because it's a happy place. It's because it's the only place where I don't have to move or do anything. I mean, I have the same sort of, I'm useless, I'll never do, especially after Scary Mommy. I just felt like I am never right. going to do anything work-wise of any right. significance ever again. I am so useless. Why on earth did I sell this company? Like right. I've peaked, it's over. Same thing, you know, marriage. Right. Well, not that I peaked at marriage, but you know, that's over. Just everything felt no, yes. Um, <clears throat> And it's right. so hard to find, just to rally any enthusiasm or any positivity. Right. Just I'm, I'm unrallyable when I'm depressed. There's like nothing to snap me out of it. It is a very strange dichotomy to me to like know who you are. And from my perspective, which, you know, you're, you're Jill freaking smokler. Like you did the thing, you started a whole entire thing that everybody kind of replicated. You got one or two New York Times bestselling books. And that liar that is your mental illness in your head is so much louder than everything you've done. It's like weird to me because I know you're still the still you're still the same Jill that did everything. So you're the same Jill that can do it again. But when you get into that place of depression, we start it's like this imposter thing also happens where well that person did all of that, but this person incapable, right? Or incapable. But we're the same person uh, doing the same thing that we've already done. And it's just weird to me how that like liar becomes so prominent in the forefront of our yeah. minds. Um, that's one of my biggest battles is overcoming like my own, gosh, I'm trying to think of the best way to, do it's like a demon. Yeah, it totally, it's like that voice in the back of your head that's my, like Voldemort. Totally, totally. <laughs> and mine is just telling me constantly, nobody gives a shit, Jill. Like, every, like, just who right. cares? Just to everything I say, I'm just like, right. just who fucking cares? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Just, right. just don't talk. Just be quiet. It's like, it's enough. <sighs> um, but I have friends that are actively achieving success that feel the same way. Right. And you have to, I mean, in order to achieve any success, you need to put yourself out there. I'm not going to achieve success by laying right. in my bed doing absolutely nothing. Well, that reminds me because there is like a tension here to manage because we're like, get out of bed, do the thing, Jill. And you're like, that's not helpful. But then also we do know that getting in bed, like staying in bed all day is not going to do the thing. So I have my answer for this, but I want to ask you first, what is like step one? If you're like, okay, I've got to get myself out of this shit. Like, what is the first thing you do? Because I have a couple of coping things. They're like tiny little actions that get me closer to a healthy mm. spot. Um, that, that I have to spin my spoon on it. I'm like, I'm going to do this thing. What What is the thing for you that kind of feels like you're tiptoeing back to the right place? I'd say listening to music really helps. I really listen. Okay. I, I listen almost exclusively to like podcasts and um, like memoirs and things like that. And when I'm in a funk, if I start listening to like my happy 80s music or whatever, I do notice yeah. that that does lift my mood. Um, That's huge to have like a couple of things where you're like, I know this will do something. Yep. yep. Um, I mean, medication yep. tweaks, like that's one that for sure, not oh, every yeah. time, but there definitely, I've had to tweak things like four or five times. And at the beginning it was constantly tweaking, but even once I've reached a, you know, level 
point every time something happens, every time I have like a little episode or every time I don't sleep for a period, you know, that just messes up the medication and it's back to square one. Um, But yeah, I'd say music, talking to friends. What are, what are your little, your tips? I will in my pajamas without brushing my hair or anything, I will get in my car and I will roll, I'll roll my windows down and I will drive to a drive through and get myself a Coke zero. And I don't know what the process of just like feeling like I'm Mm. moving and getting some breeze or sunshine and then like a little treat, you know, a little Coke zero. I don't know why like sipping on something just makes me feel alive. It's like re-engaging with the world in a level that feels safe and it's not taking anything from me. And I find that sometimes it works. Sometimes if I take the tiny step and I can do that, um, then I I, like little steps become a little easier. Um, I get home and I'm like, maybe I'll not going to do the dishes. That's absolutely (laughs) not going to happen. But like, maybe I'll do something else. Maybe I'll cook a dinner tonight. Tell me something you've learned that helps make it easier to manage your bipolar. One of the biggest aha moments for me was I can communicate this to people. I don't have to make up excuses for why I can't go to the game. I don't have to have like a situation that I like create so that they accept my answer. What I can say is I I can't. I'm a I can't do it today. And it's because I don't feel well. It's because I'm struggling. And once I started being honest with people about my reasons, whether they were close friends or not, I mean, I um, committed to doing something at a soccer game for the kids. And I, I told them in enough advance that it like wasn't a crisis. But I was like, I can drop off the stuff. I can't be there. I am sorry. I'm struggling. And I was so like elated at the responses I got because instead of like, annoyance, I was met with, yeah, you know what? Me too. I'm, that's very relatable to me. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, and I think, God, maybe the only thing that came out of the pandemic that was positive <laughs> is I think everybody got to a bad space to the point where like, we at least empathize with it. Yeah. If if you didn't have mental illness, you experienced something that felt a whole lot like <laughs> it in that time. Yeah. And you so now, now when you tell somebody, yeah, like now they have a little taste of like what our Tuesday feels like. <laughs> How about the overspending when you're in an episode? Because, oh my God, have I gotten into some damage. My first big hypomanic episode, I bought so many stupid things, so many things Mm -hmm. I didn't need. Massage chair, cricket, like that crafting thing from Michael's. I haven't used it once. Just like all of this random stuff. And the amount of time I had to spend returning and explaining to clerks, yes. like why I was returning this, um, oh, literally Jill, bought I like $70 worth of sprinkles from Michael's. Oh, um, sprinkles, was, like, are they at least edible sprinkles? Like you can eat them sprinkles. Edible not sprinkles, like but I don't bake. I have no reason <laughs> to have sprinkles yet. Oh my God. It's the new, the new hobby. Mania. Yes, like, that's yes, the yes. The new yeah. hobby mania. Oh my God. I'm going to so do fun. this. And I'm going to get all of the supplies necessary. Yes. And then three days later, it's like I was going to learn five languages last week. What oh my God. Happened? I have a room in the back of my house that I decided one day it was going to be the yoga retreat room. I don't oh, do good. yoga, sure. I don't do retreats, <laughs> but I put up a bar. And yeah. I bought like eight yoga mats. And now the room yeah, is you. a yoga room with no yoga doers. <laughs> oh my God. I'm trying to remember the last time I, you know, what's really funny is, and your audience can't see this, is I have a very expensive podcasting microphone. Um, that I noticed I, you're not using. 
<laughs> I don't know how to use this thing. It was like $400. I was going to have a fancy podcast. And now I'm, <laughs> that was also one of those moments. Um, this brings up something that I think is so important. And I'm excited to talk about with you because I bet we've had similar experiences. Um, and I see this playing out with famous people. Money can hide mental illness sometimes, right? Mm. There was a year when my, and right now I am back to like what I would consider like an average income family because my husband's not been working since last year. He's taken a sabbatical from medicine. So in my time being married to this man, we had been an undergrad together, grad school. He was in residency, which is like Grey's Anatomy where you're working all the time and have no money. Um, And then he went from making like $30,000 a year to like half a million in one year. Um, And that year, I was so mentally ill. I went to Hamilton 11 times. Hmm. People thought it was quirky. And there is a lot of things that money does, I feel like. And, you know, I don't have that now. So now, if they see me doing the spending, well, there's not the margin to protect me from myself anymore, Mm. right? And so when I start acting even a little bit wild here, it's like an immediate, we catch it because I don't have money to spend like that. Yep. I had an episode um, where I wanted to purge everything that I wasn't currently using in my house, which meant like, I just have this desire to take everything out, organize it, and then get rid of everything that I feel like is superfluous in my life. Yes. And I moved everything into the garage. And like at the current moment in time, I wasn't taking any trips, so I didn't need any of my luggage. So all of the suitcases, cosmetic bags, everything went in the garage. All of my mm-hmm. clothes that like didn't exactly fit perfectly at that yes. time, like everything oh like that. And then the big kicker was I called 1-800-JUNK and had them come <clears throat> and <gasps> empty the entire garage. So You're the same person, Jill. <laughs> oh my... About twice a year, I order a dumpster to my house. I love it. It's like the greatest day of my life. And Ian's thrilled. I mean, like, my family loves it. The house is immaculate. I've organized everything. And then I have all these rules. Okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. The house is going to be like this from now on. I'm going to do this from now on. I'm going to do this. You know, like, and then they haul away 600. It costs $600. They haul away all these things that literally in three weeks I'm going to be looking for. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, well, manic me thought that life would be a lot easier with the house just clean. (laughs) Exactly. With like nothing around. I take pictures off the walls. I, I, my house is like a. Do you ever feel like the inside of your house is a direct reflection of your inside of your brain sometimes? Like if you walk in and things are tidy, I'm like, got my shit together. (laughs) You walk in and it's like Uh a mess. That's literally what's inside my head. Yes. And my house is normally so in order. And when I am manic, it is such a train wreck that it's just so disturbing to the kids because they come in. I mean, I... It's, you can't see it in the episodes, the impact it has on the kids. And I feel like I'm only, I only just learn of it in bits and pieces when they tell me a memory or. Oh, you're you like, know, and oh my God, like, that was your experience of mom? Exactly. Okay. Like, that's what you're going to remember. Um, yeah. I do remember we had Lisa Heffernan on the podcast um, several podcasts ago. And she made a comment that the majority of your relationship with your kids will be in adulthood. 
not childhood, that that's such a, you know, finite oh, wow. period amount of, amount, of ta- amount of time. That's such a relief. Isn't it? <laughs> like, it just made me I feel never, like you can make I thought up. that, like, that was it. I'm done. You right. know, they're, they're gone. I'm done. And that was it. Oh, my God. I've done everything terrible. But you just totally broadened that into, like, a more positive. I don't feel, like, so scared anymore. I know. I loved that. It really was, like, so eye-opening to me and made me realize, like, you haven't done irreparable for the rest of your life damage. Like they can know that mom struggles with this and she's getting help and this is life, but. Oh, that's beautiful, Jill. That's huge. MK, it's been so good to catch up and talk to you. Thank you. Can you please tell the people where they can find you? Yeah. Um, so a while ago, I changed all my pages to just my name, which makes it very easy. So you can just find me at Mary Catherine Backstrom. I'm on Facebook. I'm on TikTok, which is where I do a whole lot of my deconstruction. Uh, I'm deconstructing my faith. That's my. Uh, that's the space I do that. Facebook is more like ha-ha funny and then some inspirational stuff. I'm terrible at Instagram. You don't want to follow me there. That's just the reality of it. <laughs> I post there maybe once every three weeks, and it's always a second thought. So don't go to Instagram. <laughs> Perfect promotion. You're you're so good at it. <laughs> I'm doing my best. <laughs> oh, but y'all can go buy my books. Do that. Yes, do that. Crazy Joy is the <laughs> Crazy one. Joy. Yeah, go buy that one. It's not selling yes. as well as the other. They're great though. It never does. They never do. <laughs> no, they're fantastic. It, Thank it, you. Yes, I, we can commiserate on that later. <laughs> yeah, I am really a good salesperson, aren't I, Jill? Hey, we'll get there. Neither am I. Support me. (laughs) Support Mary Catherine. She is fabulous and wonderful and hilarious. Follow her everywhere. Buy her book. And thank you so much for being here. Oh, this was awesome. And I'm really glad because I do have issues. So it was a good fit. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you don't miss our next episode. And before you go, can I ask you a big favor? Could you just rate the podcast? Just give it five stars wherever you're listening. It really means a lot to me and to the podcast. And I'd be so appreciative if you could just do that before you go. Thank you very, very much. She's Got Issues is produced by me, Jill Smokler, Kira Shine, and Gwen Sound. You can follow us on Instagram at She's Got Issues Media and tell a friend because you know what? It's not just us. She's Got Issues too. See you next time.